Lord, our lives are yours. And I'm asking, Father, that you would help us to be a living sacrifice. May the joy of Jesus and the joy that was set before him be the joy that's set before us. And please bless this message now, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to talk to you specifically about the larger part of your family, your church family, which you do not regularly see. It is possible that you have seen an angel and spoken with an angel. And as our bulletins say that heaven and earth are no farther apart now than they were when the angels were speaking on behalf of heaven to Joseph and to the shepherds. I want to take you back as I begin this sermon. I want to take you back into the experience of heaven before Jesus announced his plan of salvation. It says, The news of man's fall spread through heaven. Every harp was hushed. The angels cast their crowns from their heads in sorrow. All heaven was in agitation. A council was held to decide what must be done with the guilty pair. The angels feared that they would put forth their hand and eat of the tree of life and become immortal sinners. But God had said that he would drive the transgressors from the garden and angels were immediately commissioned to guard the way to the tree of life. It had been Satan's studied plan that Adam and Eve should disobey God, receive his frown, and then partake of the tree of life that they might live forever in sin and disobedience and thus sin be immortalized. But holy angels were sent to drive them out of the garden and to bar their way to the tree of life. Each of these mighty angels had in his right hand something which had the appearance of a glittering sword. Now, I want us to understand as we think about the culture of our homes and our church, which we have more control over than society, but we are to be salt and light, that God is a perfect balance of justice and mercy. And it's not a very pleasant thought to think about the angels having to drive the occupants of heaven out of the garden. You know, it's a bad thing to realize that you've just lost something you can't get back and it's lost in perpetuity. And I can imagine their grieving hearts begging and pleading to be left inside that garden and the angels are forcing them to the exit which was supposed to be more of an entrance than an exit. A council was held to decide what must be done with the guilty pair. The anxiety of the angels seemed to be intense while Jesus was communing with his father. Three times he was shut in by the glorious light about the father, and the third time he came from the father, his person could be seen. And then he made known to the angelic host that a way of escape had been made for lost man. He told them that he had been pleading with his father and had offered to give his life a ransom to take the sentence of death upon himself and that through him, man might find pardon. At first, the angels could not rejoice for their commander concealed nothing from them but opened before them the plan of salvation and Jesus told them that he would leave all his glory in heaven, appear on earth as a man, humble himself as a man and that finally after his mission as a teacher would be accomplished, he would be delivered into the hands of men and endure almost every cruelty and suffering that Satan and his angels could inspire to inflict. That he would die the cruelest death, 
hung up between heaven and earth as a guilty sinner, and that he would suffer dreadful hours of agony which even the angels could not look upon but would veil their faces from the sight. The angels prostrated themselves before him. They offered their lives. Jesus said to them that he would by his death save many and that the life of an angel could not pay the debt. His life alone could be accepted for the Father as a ransom for many. Now, yesterday as I'm driving home with my wife, I'm on Long Lake Road, and as I'm driving down the road, one of those precious little brown squirrels, fat and fluffy, runs out in front of my car. Now the Lord knows how I hate to hurt the animals. I couldn't feel a lot, but as I looked in my rearview tire, I could see a little brown ball of fur laying in the road, twitching and moving. I thought to myself, I should do something about this. I was almost home, so I drove home, and I dropped my wife off, and then I went and got an instrument with which I could end the misery of this furry little fellow. I want to tell you that from the time I put that in my car and I drove back to the spot on the road where I'd seen him twitching, had the power to not only make the rest of the day miserable, but lead into a very miserable Sabbath. Because it's one thing to inadvertently hurt something, and it's another thing to let it lay there in the road waiting to be put out of its misery. And I thought to myself, I'm going to go back and I'm going to take the rest of the life of the squirrel. Now, I just read to you that on the day that Jesus hung on the cross... The angels couldn't look. Now, I know nothing about offering my son up as an offering to humanity. I know nothing about willful infliction of cruel violence on another living thing. I hope it repulses you. I hope you don't watch it vicariously in the form of people shooting people or whatever else they might do on screens, and you somehow think it's entertaining. But I want to tell you, for a few minutes, when I was driving my car back to that spot on the road, almost there in front of Bridalwood, for those of you who live over there, I'm thinking to myself, will it still be twitching in the road? Or will it be dead? I'm here to tell you, it was still in the road. I don't know how it happened. It was still in the exact place where I had hit it. But it was sitting up on its hind legs. There was no blood. I couldn't even see that I had mangled him in any way. But I do know this. He still hadn't fully recovered. And it's a good thing I came back right away, even though I didn't want to do it. I wanted to veil my face from the misery of one little four-footed creature. And I got up a little close to him, and he kind of came too. And he wandered off the road, and I want to tell you, a heavy burden was lifted off your preacher because I don't like hurting anything. Now, if for five minutes I could carry the anguish of thinking I just brought misery to an innocent creature of nature, imagine what it was like for the angels 
When Jesus told them that they were going to put nails in his body and he was going to suffocate by the weight of sin and the inability of his legs to lift himself perpetually with all the splinters in his back while the mocking and the scorning. Imagine for a moment how they had to feel. And when the day actually came, they couldn't look. They couldn't look. The purity of their persons, the, the fine sensibilities of love and gentleness and kindness and service brought too much anguish to their hearts to look. Could they hear? Probably. What I want you to see as I take you into this journey today is that you are part of a family. We are told by the prophetic voice that your spot in this pew is preparing you to take a spot from the one-third of the angels that fell. You're going to be there. But I need you to know something. In the book Desire of Ages, page 21, the author tells us that these angels are perpetually serving us, that's you and me, and they are serving us so that we can have a position and an experience closer to Christ than even their own. So from the very beginning, they could not rejoice. Their crowns came off. They sat in stunned disbelief to hear what was in front of their beloved commander, Jesus Christ. And they prostrated themselves before him saying, let me die in their place. And Jesus told them that could not fix the problem. At first, angels were appointed to guard Adam. Now, everything I'm going to read to you is a summary that you can read. If you want a good book, you want to give a good book this Christmas, get online and give the book The Truth About Angels. All the things I'm about to go over, I think, are principally clear from the Bible, but they're more explicitly clear through the prophetic voice. The angels were first sent to guard Adam and Eve. Why? Because there was an enemy on the loose in the universe. After they fell, unfortunately, the same angels were sent to guard the access to the garden. That garden was there. Men lived nearly a thousand years, she writes in Selected Messages, in those days before the flood. And the angels visited them with instructions directly from Christ. I want to show you how active the angels have been. I want to show you how active the angels were in the incarnation. And I want you to see how active the angels were in the New Testament. But most of all, I want you to know how active the angels are in your life. These very same angels are still out there stopping the evil angels who are prowling and stalking you. They are still guarding and guiding. You'll hear a voice behind you, Isaiah said, saying, this is the way walk ye in it. Whose voice is that? Yes, it's the voice of God through an angel. You see, my friends, Jesus intends that we cultivate in our hearts and in our homes, in the culture of our workplaces, the beauty of the great nobility and dignity and kindness and glory and service of the angels. Yes, indeed, these angels, a thousand years plus, the Garden of Eden sat on the face of the planet. It was data. It was testimony of God's lordship. Let's move on to Enoch. The Lord would not per Enoch, permit Enoch to die like other men, but he sent his angels to take him to heaven without seeing death. Listen to this. In the presence of the righteous and the wicked, Enoch was removed from them. 
Those who loved him thought God might have left him in some of his high places of retirement. But after seeking diligently and being unable to find him, they reported that he was not. God had took him. Sounds like Elijah too, doesn't it? Angels were sent to collect all the animals. They didn't just go into the ark. Happenstantially, those were angels that were guiding them in. It was an angel who shut the door of the ark and there were a lot of people watching. A visible angel came down. It wasn't an invisible angel. No, he came down out of heaven. He could be seen. And all the wicked who had mocked Noah were watching and the angel closed the door. It wasn't closed from the inside. That was an impossibility. Angels were there around the ark. All kinds of things were thrown at that boat to destroy it. Only the angels kept it alive. And you ought to be asking yourselves, why don't we see more angelic work right now? Well, let's be praying for eyes to see it, number one. And number two, let's remember something. The angels show up when man is at his extremity. When you've gone as far as you can go. Now, we live in an age where we're constantly insulating ourselves. We're making sure we've got insurance and there's nothing wrong with insurance in the form of business that I'm talking about here right now. But when we insulate our schedules and our pocketbooks and our commitments to the place where there's no need for God, we got it all under control. Thank you, no thank you. You're not going to notice the angelic hand quite like you would when that hand has guided you out to your point of extremity. It was angels that came down and spoke to Abraham. It was angels that came and rescued Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah. It was angels who met Jacob on his way back to his father's house. It was angels that instructed Moses how to break the bondage of Egypt. It was angels that stood in the presence of Moses in Pharaoh's court where he would have loved to have snuffed out the voice, the witness, the prophetic testimony. And there are many more times in which there are angels. It was an angel that told Balaam that he could go, but only say what he said. It was an angel who stood in front of his donkey. It was angels that were part of the 10th plague. It was angels that prepared the food in the wilderness every day. Can you see it happening, friends? A whole army of angels spreading manna on the desert floor. It was angels who were there with Moses on Pisgah as he was getting ready to die. And the angels had to tell Moses, very interesting fact, that you are not the one who is suffering the most. There is a coming future Moses, as it were, who would suffer so much more. It was angels that buried Moses. Four heavenly angels always accompanied the ark of God. So think of it crossing the Jordan River and think of those angels holding up their hands and stopping the river. It was angels who pulled down the massive walls. It was angels who took Elijah to heaven. It was angels who slew the Assyrians. Angels are all around us keeping watch over us because they are the rest of our family and they are on duty from God. I will give my angels charge over you, God said, to keep you in all your ways. My angels camp around you. You live with your security because the angels live incessantly to be your protection and your provision on behalf of their beloved commander, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
It was angels that shut the lion's mouth for Daniel. It was angels that came in his prayer for understanding the prophecy. It is angels all around us. Angels shook that prison in Philippi. It was angels that opened the door of the prisons for Peter and John. It was and will be angels that came to visit John on the Patmos. And when we find ourselves in earth's final hours, you need to understand there will be retinues of angels and resplendent displays of angels that will make sure that our bread and water is as secure as the millions that came out of Egypt. Glory, hallelujah. And as we come to this Christmas season, I want you to understand that there is this disproportionate encounter with the angels around the incarnation. Take your Bibles and open them up to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1. I want you to see you barely get into the story, and there they are. It's the angels, these glorious brothers of our faith in our faithful one Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, you have 17 verses of genealogy, and then you have an angel story. But before we do that, let's just remind ourselves of the songs we sing. Could we not do that? The first Noel, the who did sing? The angels. Angels from the well, realm of glory, wing your flight over all the earth. There's a song in the air. Oh, what is it? It's the angel song from that heavenly throng. Go tell it on the mountain, rang out the angel chorus. And how about hark the herald angel sings. And as with gladness, men of old did the guiding star behold. That star was a star composed of a group of what? Angels. In the bleak midwinter, the verse says, angels and archangels may have gathered there. Infant holy, infant lowly, number 127. Almost every single song in our songbook dealing with Christmas. Swifter winging, angels singing, Noel's ringing, tidings bringing. And how about it came upon a midnight clear, that glorious song of old from angels bending near the earth. And don't come all ye faithful, sing ye choirs of angels, sing an exaltation. And little town of Bethlehem, while mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wandering love. Rise up, you shepherds, and follow. There's a star in the east on Christmas morn. Rise up, shepherds, and follow. And if you take good heed to the angels' words, rise up, shepherds, and follow. And while shepherds watched their flock by night, all seated on the ground, the angel of the Lord came down. Thou didst leave thy throne, number 140. Heaven's arches rang when the angels sang. And what child is this, number 141, whom angels greet with anthems sweet. And angels we have heard on high, number 142. And as we get to the end of all of our Christmas songs, we find out that shepherds hear the angels singing, Alleluia, Christ is King. But back to the gospel record. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. Well, we'll begin with verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't want anybody to miss this. For one, even fraction of a second, the gospel story starts out in trauma. This girl has gone off to see her cousin, Auntie, and she comes back pregnant. And her fiancé doesn't know what to do. Don't read the Bible in a hurry. Stop and think about what it must have been to Mary to have to say to Joseph, Joseph, I need to talk to you. There's a problem. A problem? What kind of problem? Well, I don't know how to explain this, Joseph. 
I've been faithful to you. I've been faithful to our betrothment. But I'm pregnant. You're what? Joseph, her husband, verse 19, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. He was a good man. Unfortunately, he had a wrong understanding. Fortunately, there are angels, which by definition mean messengers, which God wants to send to us as he said to Joseph. Verse 20, but when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared. Good news. It appeared to him in a dream. Now, I want you to see something you may not have recognized, but whenever the angels appear to Joseph in the Bible story, they're always in dreams. So don't fill your mind up with garbage. Give yourself a John the Baptist separatist version from what's going on in this world and fill your mind with good things and let the Lord speak to you in the dreams. But there's an angel that appears in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. Always the first words out of the angel's mouth are almost always, don't be afraid. So as you look to the future, friends, don't be afraid. Whatever's happening to you right now on this December morning, don't be afraid. There are angels attending to you verily as much as they were attending to Joseph and Mary. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child has been conceived in her is, as she told you, of the Holy Spirit. Now that angel encounter is recorded by Luke. It's not even recorded in the book of Matthew. But an angel appears and explains all of this to her. And then to him, verse 21, she will bear a son, you should call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to the son and called his name Jesus. You're going to see in the gospel story that the people who get angel encounters get them because they'll do what the angel said right away. You get out of the habit. I can once remember listening to a sermon by Barry Black, chaplain of the United States Senate, a military man for certain. And he said this, delayed obedience is disobedience. And what I want you to understand is that when you see the angels appearing in the narrative of the, of the gospel, the incarnation, what they say, people do right away. This is the case with Joseph. Now, when we go to the story of the Magi, we don't see the angels unless we know from the gospel narrative through the prophetic voice of the desire of ages that that star they see is angels. We know from Luke chapter 2, the angels appear. What do they say? It's one at first. He tells them, He's there for good news and don't be afraid. And then there's a whole burst, as it were, of angelic presence. And that becomes the star that guides these wise men. That star remains, actually, it moves to Jerusalem because while it was above the plains of Judea, it needed to guide these men to the Temple Mount, which it did, but then it went out. But when that is done and they are finished going to Bethlehem after a detour through Jerusalem, they're warned in a dream. Verse 12 of chapter 2 of Matthew. Having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Now, I can't prove that it was an angel in a dream, but I will tell you this. If you were to make allowance for every time somebody's warned in a dream in the gospel story of Christ's coming, if you were to allow 
that those dreams were actually angels encountering, you'd have seven angelic encounters between the two narratives. Or just between this narrative, I believe, actually, in the book of Matthew. But look at verse 13, unless you think pastors just concocting things. It says, now when they had gone, that is, the wise men were out of there, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. How? In a dream. And he said, get up and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And of course, he does it right away. Joseph has an MO, a modus operandi. I'm showing you this evening, this morning, the modus operandi, the MO of the angels. So verse 12, the wise men have a dream. It's possible it was an angel talking to them. We know verse 13, it's an angel in a dream. Go over, if you would, to verse 19 of chapter 2 of Matthew. It says, but when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream, we're not surprised, to Joseph in Egypt, and he said, get up and take the child. Skip down to verse 22. But when he heard, he comes home on his way, somewhere along the way, he learns that a relative of Herod is still ruling, and God interacts with him again. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned by God, how? In a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee. Now here we are through the narrative of Matthew, and if every one of those encounters which don't name an angel but were a dream warning were of an angel, you have seven encounters in the gospel story of Matthew of angels warning in dreams. Now, we are fairly closely associated with Adventist Frontier Missions here. Um, many of you are supportive of what they're doing. And we hear stories back of how today in the Islamic world and other parts of the world where there is no Bible and no freedom to pursue who God really is, God is doing with resplendence the same kind of thing. Why? Because he's getting ready to come back and he's speaking in the extremity of the absence of Bible truth. He is speaking through dreams. Jesus will come. The angels will show themselves manifest to the guiding and the warning. Now, you've got yourself in a confused moment in your life. You're not sure what to do. There are Bible promises. Separate yourself from the distracted messaging of the world. Pursue knowing what truth is. And I want to promise you, God will speak to you too. And he may not do it in a dream because we have 66 prophetic works right here. Make yourself familiar with them. Know what they say. Know their author. Pray through them. And God will speak through them. But if you find yourself in a position of extremity, you need to be certain the promise that you'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. Now, in the book Education, there is this encouragement, which I'd like everybody to leave here today taking full advantage of. I do it all the time. In that book, the author states that we should ask God for the aid of the education and the experience of the angels. She'll go on to say, what form of education can equal this? This is why teaching our children practical godliness at home first, where the first school is, and then in the school itself, by actually moving our institutions to a few points of extremity. In other words, we're not going to go to heaven in our insulated little cocoon. God is actually going to get us out to the edges where we will get to see some angelic activity if we have faith enough to follow. And he's not going to stretch us to where he breaks our faith like a rubber band that's been pulled too taut. But he's actually going to get us into positions where he's going to show up. And in the showing up, he's going to grow our faith these angelic encounters. Let's look at a slightly different angelic encounter, though. Go to the book of Luke. 
Luke chapter 1, we're going to see that there's all kinds of angelic encounters around the incarnation of Jesus. The first one is perhaps one of the most interesting. In Luke chapter 1, we have a priest by the name of Zechariah, and he's ministering in the temple. Now, the profile of Zacharias is definitely a very discouraged and despondent preacher. And who wouldn't be? <laughs> I mean, let's think about this for a minute. The angelic light goes off over Bethlehem, which isn't far from Jerusalem. You could expect that anybody that was out in the middle of the night on the night of the angels singing could have thought, what was that? You know how lightning works, don't you? Shines over here. You can tell it went off over here. But that message gets back to Jerusalem and nobody even bothers to go look. And of course, the wise men come through and they're saying, where is he? We saw his star. Oh yeah, light in the darkness. But nobody even gets up to go look, do they? It's a strange time to be a preacher in the remnant people because the darkness that's hid behind the religion is far darker than any light that's squeaking out through the cracks. And it's, it's a very, very discouraging moment if you're Zacharias. Now, he's part of a rotating group of people that will come to work in the temple. That's how it worked. You'd get a, about a two-week assignment and you'd go minister in the temple. He is so discouraged that Gabriel will show up. And let's look at the first words out of Gabriel's mouth. I think that would be particularly helpful. Um, let's go down to verse 12. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel and fear gripped him. Now the angel appeared on the right side of the altar, which is the side of favor. But look at what the angel says. This is, this is Gabriel. The angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. All right, well, we're going to find out what that is. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you'll give him the name John. So these are all facts. But how are they going to affect Zechariah? Well, that's verse 14. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. This is the exact emotional opposite of what he's experiencing in the now. He's an old man. There's virtually no way for him to have a baby. There's not going to be the lineage of faithful ministerial integrity coming from his loins. No, indeed, it appears that the sun has set. He's been, he's been uh, sundowned, as it were, and there is no way that he's going to get to see the face of deliverance. But the angel shows up and he says, don't be afraid. What you've prayed for is going to happen and it's going to make you happy. Now, you have to be almost categorically depressed to respond the way this man responds. And more than that, you have to be a man of unbelief in the moment. And that's the bigger part of the problem at this moment. God has seen Zechariah grieve over the sins that are cloaked behind the Pharisaical and Sadducee experience of the church. He's very discouraged with the absence of true godliness. Nathaniel's showing up and when Jesus says, there's a true Israelite in whom there is no guile, it's noteworthy because they're hard to find. And Zechariah knows it because he has an inside view and he's superbly discouraged, but he makes a greater mistake than walking through the valley of discouragement. All of us have to go through some of that. But what he does is in the presence of an answered prayer with favor on the right side of the altar, with the radiance of an angel, this is the archangel who took Lucifer's place. He says, how do I know you're telling me the truth? Verse 18, how will I know this for certain? Look, look at me. I'm an old man and my wife isn't any younger. Now, 
I want you to see an important thing. If you're actively parenting, if you're a teacher, if you're in charge of an institution of young people, but especially moms and dads, pay good attention here because the same angels that drove Adam and Eve out of the garden, some tough love, we're going to get a little bit more of it right here. You know, God understands the fabric of our being. But he doesn't falsely affirm us in our faithless discouragement. He does come to us to encouragement in our discouragement. But when we decide to double down on looking into the dark and not looking to the light, when we decide to double down on the glasses half empty, can't you see it? Instead of the glasses half full because the angel of the Lord's appeared to make sure it gets filled up with joy. The angel answered and said to him, do you know who you're talking to? I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, what should have been good isn't going to be quite as good because you're not going to be able to tell anybody about it. You will be silent, unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Everybody's waiting, taking way too long. But finally he comes out and his visage has changed. He's been rebuked, but he's got some joy on him now. And he needed the rebuke to break him out of this downward cycle of disbelief and darkness of emotion. And for nine months, he's got to write everything out and mouth everything out and mime everything out. It's a pretty pathetic sight, except for one thing. He no longer is discouraged. He's hopeful, but he is in a nine-month form of discipline by God. You want to call it punishment? Call it what you might. It's a divine rebuke. And you can't raise a healthy child without some of it. As a matter of fact, when you defy the laws that are clearly portrayed in the Scriptures and you don't know how to love, you raise weak, vacillating, uncertain, worldly-minded and I'll stop off right there. I don't need to go farther and farther. Praise God for our parents. But may God rebuke us when we are indulging and coddling, when indeed there needs to be some of this divine rebuking going on. Zacharias has one of the longest angel discussions recorded in the Bible. Of course, we got the discussion with Mary. Same kind of thing. But Mary is young. I want you to see what happens in Mary's encounter. The angel shows up, same angel, and he tells her, don't be afraid. And she asks the same kind of question. How do I know this is going to happen? But she is youthful without the journey of a life of faith. And Gabriel answers her question with patience and wisdom. And she chooses to believe. But you don't have to be a rapid calculating statistician to say, well, there's a thousand people living in this village. How many of them are going to believe this? But she says, here's the maidservant of the Lord. When you want to hear from God and you're willing to obey, that's your best chance. The angel of the Lord camps around those who fear him and delivers him. And then lastly, we come down to the story of the angels. We couldn't end a sermon dealing with angelic intervention. What is the modus operandi? Luke chapter 2, look there with me very quickly. Luke chapter 2, verse 9. There they are, sitting on the sides of the hills of Bethlehem, thinking about David and the prophecies and prayerfully anticipating that something good is about to happen. And an angel of the Lord, verse 9, suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord showed around them, and they were terribly afraid. But, true to form, these brothers of ours, sisters of ours, however you want to describe them, say, do not be afraid. 
For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Today, in the city of David, there has been born. It's a fact. That which the angels could not rejoice in, they are now rejoicing in. For unto you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, is born. And this will be a sign for you. You're going to find the baby wrapped in clothes, swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God, glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill to men with whom his favor rests. I don't know, was there a heavenly orchestra with them? Was it an a cappella choir? I don't know this, but I know sometime soon a cloud half the size of a man's hand is going to appear in the eastern sky. And I know that cloud's not going to be HTO water vapor. It's going to be angels who excel in strength, who are carrying their dear Redeemer on their shoulders to bring them down to announce that the earth should convulse and give up its dead. I know this, that between now and then, the same angels which have been guiding the human race and always showed up at key moments are still showing up to do their job. When it looks like there's a Goliath and there's a David, the angel puts the angelic radar on the stone so that it hits the spot. He lays his hand on the scale so that the dynamics of, of divine justice are more properly balanced out. I know that spiritual warfare is going on, and I know behind the scenes I'm being stalked, as so are you by the evil one. But when I lay my head down tonight to go to sleep, like Peter and John in the prison, they can go to sleep even though they may find themselves in hot water the next day. Just like Peter, when he thinks he's going to get his head cut off, he can lay down and go to sleep because angels of God are watching over me and watching over you. And I know this. God's going to move us out of our comfort zone and get us into the point of extremity occasionally. And when he does, we should expect that the army of angels should show up to give deliverance or strength. If I'm not going to be delivered... I need the peace of my heavenly companion. When I was born, an angel was assigned to me. And every day of my life, at least one has been by my side. And how many times I've been spared, I do not know. But I know this. They all took their crowns off and offered them to Jesus. They all bowed their heads and said, let me go in your place. And Jesus said, no, it won't work. But you can go in my place to give courage to the fainting, to speak words of assurance, to give wisdom, resolve. This morning, friends, I want you to know something. The angels have always and will always be laying down their life to give you a place in heaven that makes you closer to Jesus than they have ever been. And someday their tireless efforts to minister to you are going to be rewarded by asking you questions about what it was like to go from being a saint, being a sinner to a saint, in the meantime, be an angel to somebody. I stood in line the other day purchasing something. You know, when you go to a store, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to get your wallet out, and you're supposed to give them either green paper or hard plastic. And as I stood there, I didn't know it. There was a guy in front of me, great big dude. I mean, big dude, big hook nose, fuzzy hair, hat on, kind of brawny-like. But what I didn't realize is the cashier could see the exit. And she had watched three people in the course of about three minutes walk out the door without coming to the cashier. That's called stealing. 
Well, I don't know if it flustered her or what, but she took a little, little too long for him. He got mad, said a bunch of words, and walked off with the conveyor belt full of his stuff. I was the next person in line. I'd like to think I was the angelic reinforcement to come along and say, it's okay. I'm not in that big a hurry. I'm sorry about that. She probably thanked me two or three times before I walked away from that cash register just for being nice. You know, there's nobody you're interacting with who doesn't need a little shaft of light. They don't need to hear the echo of that original song. Goodwill, peace, joy in your home. If you need the healing hand of Jesus on your heart because rancor and negativity and bitterness is ruining what's going on, go and listen to the angels sing. Let the angels prescribe. Maybe there's a nine-month silence moratorium on certain things you've been used to saying. I don't know what it is, but I know this. That song that started, Ellen White says, above the hills of Bethlehem has not ended and will not end. And I know as Christians, we're supposed to carry it forward with a living hope that all those that attend the throne of heaven are attending to us. And someday soon, they'll bear us to the throne of glory. They'll introduce us to our best friend, Jesus, and we'll take our crowns off too. And we'll sing the same kind of songs and tell them, friends, you got to have the nobility, the beauty, the kindness, the humility, the dignity, the self-control, the nobleness. The society of heaven is constituted by these noble beings who completely serve. You too busy to serve in this year coming up? You need to offer up your calendar and your pocketbook. You need to offer up your priority system to the Lord Jesus Christ so that you could be part of the angelic voice announcing to the world, hope is coming to an end, but the offer still stands. May God bless us as we carry this song forward. And remember that we're working in concert with the divine angels to vindicate the name of our dear Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand together. Lord, thank you for the angels who simply reflect who you are. And I pray, Lord, may we be like them. May we remember they're all around us. Thank you for their protection. Thank you for their prompting. Thank you, Lord, when they wrestle with us as we're getting ready to make a bad decision, as they speak truth to us about maybe an attitude or an action. Thank you, Lord, that whenever you're about to do something significant, or especially when someone's limited in their knowledge of you, you make a more special manifestation through angelic presence. And Lord, the day is coming when evil angels are going to work miracles. Thank you, Lord, for the good angels that will point us to the scriptures and empower us through your spirit. And we're looking forward to victory, Lord, victory. If we suffer, may we know good angels stood by the sides of those who suffered before us and they will nerve and strengthen us. Until then, Lord, may we not live afraid because the first words they ever say to the ones they appear to is, don't be afraid. Now, Lord, we leave this place today. Bless our fellowship, whether it's in the family center or at our own tables. And may we learn to remember the angels are there whether we see them or not. And may we honor you by honoring their presence. In Jesus' name, amen.